setting a template for our existence in the afterlife by the lives that we live today? According to OBE expert William Buhlman, not only can our everyday beliefs bleed over into the afterlife, but our fear of what lies beyond this physical world may just inhibit our ability to traverse the infinite landscape we experience after physical death. Buhlman's brand new book, Hire Self Now, paints a poignant picture of how we can achieve a more mature spiritual understanding right now in order to fully experience the multidimensional realms that await us on the other side. Today, I am delighted to welcome back one of Higher Journey's absolute favorite guests, and that's OBE expert and author William Buhlman. You know, William first appeared on our show back in 2012. Hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, and at the time, he was talking about his book, Secret of the Soul. We just actually talked about that a little offline just now. Then in 2013, he came back on to bring us on some, let's say, Adventures in the Afterlife, another one of his groundbreaking books, which I loved. And he's been on several times since then. I want to say this is about the fourth or fifth time Bill's been on the show. But today he's back to discuss his brand new, brand new book, which he co-wrote with his wife, Susan, called Higher Self Now. Bill, I can't wait to dig into this one. But first, let me give you a proper thank you for joining us once again. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Always, always. Well, listen, you know, let's just dig right in. These days, we're hearing a lot about the importance of having a life coach, right? Or even becoming a life coach yourself. But this book that we're about to talk about, you say, is about developing your own spiritual directive and discovering the practices of an end-of-life coach. Now, I know a lot of people may say, uh, no, I don't want to go there, don't want to deal with that. But you think this is a very important part to cultivate right now. Why is that? Well, I think there, I think that there is a great need for us to make a revolutionary change in the way that we approach death, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones. Uh, there is so much fear uh, and ignorance about the entire subject. And that, especially the fear, hinders the potentially hinders the progression of soul, of consciousness at the moment of death. I mean, what's the worst way to transition except when you're surrounded by this fear, this unknowing, this total lack of knowledge about the, this amazing journey of consciousness that we call death? And here we we're clueless as a society. There's there's very little guidance given about this topic. I mean, think of it. Um, people know nothing the, about what is going to happen at death. Where am I going at death? What is going to happen to me? What kind of environment am I going to enter? What are the rules of this environment? What is this society going to be like? In other words, there's a million questions, and currently there's very little answers in the, in the, in the common knowledge. Mm-hmm. that's available for the public. And this is a travesty because yeah. there, we do, we have learned a lot from 40 years of near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people have went into the non-physical reality and have experienced them and have brought back insights. 
including myself and others. Of, of course, including yourself. You have much to tell in that regard. Well, you know, as you're, you're talking about this, the, the questions being all pervasive and not being any answers, and I'm thinking, my gosh, there's still so many people that don't even consider the question because they're already convinced there's nothing, complete annihilation. So, I mean, there's a there's a, a, an even bigger hump that we have to get over first in terms of, or some of us that feel that there's nothing. Let's first just get that out of our head, and, and then now let's start talking about well, okay, great. I continue. Now what? Right? <laughs> well, absolutely. And we, there is, we can create an enlightened, I call it an enlightened transition. We have within our power to enable a, a, a tremendously empowered spiritual transition at death. Uh, but it's, we have to plan it. We have to have some, do some action. Uh, it's not, this is not about luck. Think of it on an average day. Look at all of your listeners now. You plan everything you're doing every day, every meal, Mm -hmm. every nuance of your life is pretty much planned out. You know where you're going. You know pretty much every little daily activity you're going to do. But yet when it comes to the most important transition of consciousness, that we will experience in this lifetime, we there is a total unknowing, a total lack of knowledge. That's mm-hmm. to me is insane and unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Especially when knowledge exists about it, we have the ability to plan and to guide our own state of consciousness if we're willing to take responsibility for it and begin to learn about the. The non-physical rules of the road, for instance, is what how I refer to right. it. Right, non-physical rules of the road. Very good. Well, this is why your book is so timely right now. And uh, audience, I'm sure you can hear the immediate passion in William's voice about it, as, as he should. And this is why he's so... Uh, so wonderful what he does. I, I definitely think you're walking your path in enlightening other people. I, I want to really get into how this book is structured, which I, I was very impressed with, by the way. Uh, it's divided into two parts. Um, the, the first part is from you, where you talk about our understanding of our own lives and how we can tweak the quality of our spiritual life to prepare for the afterlife, right? But then in part two, which we're going to dive into uh, a, a bit more later in our talk. It's about preparing for the process we call death. And that's the part that was written by your wife, Susan. I want to talk about Susan for, for a little bit. And I wish she was joining us. Maybe we'll have to have her on later. Tell me, how did the two of you decide to come together to, write, to co-write this book? Why Susan? Well, Susan is an end-of-life doula. Ah. She's and a hospice uh, worker for the last, for many years now. I see. And um, she has sat with many, many people that are dying because that's what she does. And she assists those making this transition. Mm-hmm. And the, the concept of the book started because our two topics merged together so well. Mm-hmm. As you know, I've been writing about uh, out-of-body experiences and the afterlife for 20 years mm-hmm. and uh, providing insight and information about this journey of consciousness and here she's dealing with this end of life situation in a very practical way Mm -hmm. so i thought it was a perfect merging because i provide the preparation for our state of consciousness how to prepare ourselves how to accelerate our our own state of consciousness and our own spiritual evolution before death Mm -hmm. 
Susan talks about the very much the practical aspects of exactly what to do, what not to do, how to handle these transitions, not only for ourselves, but let's face it, no one's getting out of here alive. That's right. Uh, we need to be prepared for this is not some theoretical concept. Mm-hmm. We, we are all going to die. All of our family members are going to die. And we should know what the heck we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And part two is a practical aspects yes. from the eyes of a doula who has assisted other people, an end-of-life doula, in exactly what you should and also what's ideally not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're sitting with someone that's dying, what can you do? Because people become nervous. They don't know how to act. They well, don't sure. know what to say. Right. And to tell you the truth, uh, I've been involved in funeral. I'm, I'm 65 years old, and I've you know been a part of many transitions. And what I always found extremely disconcerting is that people give more attention to the flowers in the room than the person that's making the transition of consciousness. Sure, yeah. Because they're, they're, they're clueless. So knowledge, is, knowledge provides us an offer, and this opportunity to be more effective in our own transition and to assist our loved ones in their transition. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with you. But, you know, again, in pondering what you're saying, William, um, because there is such a mystery, no doubt, and there is, to this thing we call the afterlife, this aspect of our lives, and the, the fear of the unknown. I mean, that's part of the human psyche. I don't think that, that and I think it's been that way for a long time. So, you know, I, I, I guess in a way I, I can see, I can understand and have uh, empathy and compassion for those that are sort of diverting their attention to things because like the flowers and and the other things the 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 ceremony around it versus the 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 contemplation that might go with every opportunity that somebody lets go and goes to the other side is an opportunity to ponder what it is i i certainly do whenever you know i lose someone in my family or anyone that i know i'm very much thinking about that but a lot of people don't i think they're afraid to so again we're at a point where and with your book that we can we can now go there and and embrace it uh listen i want to get into some of the the specific elements of the first part of your book you said something in the book that really piqued my interest and that is um you say that our current definition of life the whole shebang of life needs to be reappraised what did you mean by that well, I, I, for for me, based on experience, it's obvious that life has the actual life is a non-physical. We are non-physical beings, temporarily entering, inhabiting, and enjoying a physical body. Mm-hmm. But the whole concept, in other words, the the body is not the source. The, of life it's the container the temporary container of life and as long as we become fixated that life itself is nothing more than a hunk of cells that it's nothing more than a three pound and our consciousness is nothing more than three pounds of gray matter we're limiting ourselves in our spiritual journey sure because we're we're limiting ourselves to the the, the epidermis of the universe to this to the to the body to the temporary vehicle of life not life itself life itself is a non-physical eternal growth 
of consciousness. That's what life is. And people are so fixated on the bio, this temporary biological machine. It's, just, it's like being concerned about your car and the car is you. Uh, it's, it's, it, but we need to re, reappraise how we view our journey. And that's done through knowledge and experience, though. Mm -hmm. That's why out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences have a tendency of awakening people to a broader perspective of themselves. Absolutely, as, yes. As long as you perceive yourself as, a, as an, an animal, as a, essentially a meat bag walking around, you're, you're going to be limiting yourself. And we need to broaden our whole perspective of what is life. What is the nature of life? What is, and it's not uh, the physical body. Mm -hmm. And so then we can begin to focus on what's truly important. And that is the transition and growth of consciousness during our life and at this moment of death. And here's the important thing. Death can be a fear-based event with weeping and all kinds of gnashing of teeth, or we can view it as a launch pad of consciousness to your higher self I like and that. to I like your spiritual essence. A launch because pad. that's what it truly is. Death is an opportunity. It's going to happen, but we have an we can use it as an opportunity for expanded spiritual, accelerated growth. Instead of this fear-based, um, oh, woe with me and, and all those around me. And this mindset is very important to the results that we experience. Mm. The Buddhists have been talking about this for 1,500 years in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, about how we can have an enlightened death. So this is nothing new. What I tried to do in Higher Self Now was to create an understandable guidebook to assist people in their journey of consciousness in this life and make this life a launch pad for the next. Well, you know, I want to talk about, uh, you were kind enough to be one of our most recent guest bloggers on higherjourneys.com. And I have to say this very succinct post, short, it's a short read, but powerful. You pack a, a wallop in it, where you talk about self-identity and our overemphasis on the physical self. This is what we've been talking about. But in it, you, you, I think you even start out by saying even our ancestral history, you know, our, our relatives, our family lineage, these things simply don't matter, you know, at Ultimately, why did you include that as part of this misidentification of the self, that our family lineage is really, in the end, that, that important? Because I, especially now in America, there's such a fixation on race, mm. on gender. We're obsessed in our society now with these two topics. And whether what's your sexual orientation? Mm. Oh, my God, none of that matters in the journey of soul. Not in the big scheme of things. Let me rephrase this. So maybe I look at it a little bit differently because I know the audience is probably going, what does he mean? It doesn't matter. Of course, it's influencing us. But how can you spiritually evolve into a powerful, non-physical being of pure light, let's say, when you have totally focused your consciousness on your racial, sexual identity? Think about it. Mm -hmm. Remember, we, we thoughts create our reality. And as long as we as a species, as a culture, 
remain fixated on the outer facade of our gender, of our racial makeup, we will we are limiting severely limiting our spiritual growth because we become what we focus upon and that is what drives drives that's why many people at death end up on the astral hmm. and sometimes the lower astral they are totally self-identified with a biological body with a racial makeup how can you evolve beyond your own self-identity when it's so fixated on matter. It's an anchor. We're throwing down these anchors as a society and as individuals. I feel about this very strongly because I've seen it in my out-of-body journeys. Mm -hmm. I've seen the result of people that are totally fixated on these identities. How The same applies in the afterlife. People continue to be male and female and Asian and they, they, you know, they continue these, these temporary identities on the astral plane, even though it's not what they are. Mm -hmm. As soul, we have no sex. We have no race. We have no gender. Soul is pure consciousness. Mm -hmm. Using these outer forms for experience to gain knowledge through often drama through personal experience. I, and as long as we remain caught up in the drama of the game, of the play we're part of, we're playing parts here. Yes. How can we evolve beyond it? We have accepted the parts we're playing as the only reality. And in that acceptance, we have locked ourselves into a very small box of reality. I agree with you on every front, Bill. And as you're, and again, that passion is undeniable. I'm, I'm nodding my head a lot here in the affirmative. But my question, the question that comes to mind is, how did we get here? You know, I, we're here in the U.S. right now, uh, although this is reaching a global audience, and, and I'm sure there are many around the world that can relate to exactly what we're talking about. We tend to see more of that uh, self-identification and, and, you know, with consumerism and so forth here in the West, particularly. But the, the, the question persists, what happened to make us so anchored to the physical world? If, if, if we're talking about an unnatural process, uh, or, or we're talking about a natural process, that spiritual process, or that that who we are, a pure consciousness, not our religion, not our, our, our uh, culture, not our, certainly not our uh, pocketbook <laughs> or level of education, etc. How do you think we got here? What happened? Well, there's one, there's one simple answer, and that is lack of personal knowledge of self. We have, when we entered the physical world, we have assimilated into a temporary facade and we have uh, um, many let's let's face it we have lost this magnificent spiritual connection with our true self and as such we've we're caught up in the biological games that are all going on all around us the massive play of consciousness that's all it has a purpose of training it's a training ground the point is the core issue, the, the largest problem facing humanity, 
is lack of knowledge. I'm talking about true knowledge, personal knowledge of self through personal experience. In other words, people have no individual personal knowledge of their own inner self, their true self, their non-physical self, the immortal part of them. They've lost contact with that. So they accept every imaginable, ridiculous perception that has been that they're surrounded with. People have a tendency to assimilate in whatever environment. You notice this? I lived in China for four years Mm -hmm. and I've witnessed this firsthand. Nobody questions anything over and they, everybody just adapts and, and, and becomes part of the collective in the physical world. It doesn't matter whether it's real or not. The history, for instance, if you're a Chinese citizen, you know their history is totally different than our history. Mm-hmm. Totally different. They don't. And if you see their books, their history books are different than our history books. But nobody questions that, or very few question it. My point is that people assimilate into the surrounding they're given. What, what the, the answer is for us to, cre- to have our own spiritual experiences so that we can have our own personal connection with our true self beyond the facade, beyond this play of consciousness that's occurring always in the physical world so that we can begin to connect with and begin to have knowledge of our true self and only then will we begin to awaken to the nature of reality and our true the game we're playing here people have no idea where they come from think of this people have no idea where they come from they don't know where they're going at death they don't know what their true purpose is and well they're not even looking for it that's the other no because they've totally accepted (laughs) The uh, let's call it the matrix of illusion that's all around them, this play of consciousness. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a reason for it because it's a training ground. And since we're immortal, the length of time it takes for every individual to awaken and have a spiritual awakening is a, becomes irrelevant. We're immortal. There's no race going on. It's a matter of individuals awakening. As, as the Buddha would say, It's about awakening to your true self. And once you have this personal experience of self, either through, it can be NDEs or OBEs or through deep meditation, people have these profound, I'm talking about a profound inner experience where the light bulb goes off and you suddenly know, oh my God, I'm playing a part here. I'm not a, I'm not an American male. I'm not a, I'm not a, Caucasian. I'm not. I'm none of these things. I'm pure consciousness using a biological body for a temporary period of time, so I can learn and experience. And it, but that, it, but people need to have that personal experience. It's not arrived at intellectually, and that's the big thing I like to point out here. There's a lot of books out there emphasizing intellectualism intellectualism will not get you to the core of your true self because we exist beyond the mind we exist beyond the intellect the that is the intellect and the mind is still a vehicle of consciousness so that is why it's so important that we discover a method 
that allows us to experience our true self, whatever that may be for us. But that's why it's important to read books uh, that offer opportunities. That's why I wrote the four books I have. Mm -hmm. Each one is a training manual. I agree. I agree. In how to expand your consciousness and experience higher aspects of yourself. All Mm -hmm. four of my books, they cover it in different ways. Mm -hmm. But the core purpose of all my writing is to give people an opportunity to experience their true self. Do not believe in it. Beliefs are the are the most abundant thing on our planet and the weakest. You and I have talked about that, Bill. I think I don't think there's one interview that we've done where the, the whole belief versus knowing issue <laughs> hasn't come up. And I'm, I'm backing you on that. You know, belief to me implies doubt. Belief is rooted in uh, an acceptance of something that's been given from outside of you versus the, the knowing of something. So again, you are on, on the same page. You know, look, I call this whole process that you're talking about, that you're alluding to, the sovereign journey, the spiritual sovereign self, which by all accounts, has been lost. There are some people that are starting to realize, many of them vis-a-vis the, the out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences and profound uh, awakenings through meditation, perhaps, uh, that there is something more. And, and you're right, that is has nothing to do with the intellectual pursuit of these things, but the knowing through the experience, through the, uh, through the, the glimpsing of that, which you've had. So I agree. Well, that's but this is a critical point because this is what's lost. Uh, we we have a tendency. All of humanity has a tendency to uh, basically adapt to the environment they've entered, and to and they're basically programmed. Yes. I was mm-hmm. I was programmed as a child to believe a certain of religion. I was programmed to believe a lot of things. Now I know they're. One of the first things I learned 20 years ago when I I began to have out-of-body experiences is that everything I had believed or been taught is flawed or false. Mm -hmm. Every single thing. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty shocking statement, but it's true. And that's an awakening. You awaken, oh my God, I got to find out the truth. You know, I have to, it's on us. We have to, and it's not out there, it's within us. Mm -hmm. We have to awaken that we are already part of the divine journey of consciousness. There's, There's nothing outside of us, but we have to find a method to connect with whatever resonates with each of us in a way that will allow us to experience our true self. That's what's critical in our world today, because only then will we have the knowledge, the true inner knowledge and wisdom to make the choices necessary and to guide our journey in the optimum way, instead of being caught up in the matrix of beliefs that dominate our uh, society. And, And so what you're saying, if I understand you, is that the consequences of not doing that now in life will present itself to one in the afterlife because there is no you're basically going into this new vista of journey called the afterlife carrying that matrix of reality as baggage with you so and and so that's what i understand the first part of your book bill is really all about is preparing ways to prepare yourself right here and right now uh for that journey beyond 
so, you know, I want to get into some of the modalities briefly, and then I want to get into part two, some of the specific things that are brought up uh, that Susan wrote in part two. And that is, um, you know, the, the, one of the modalities that you mentioned that I find interesting is sound technology. Now, we know meditation and yoga and breath work, chanting, uh, which is really a part of sound, those are all becoming far more popular now. But let's talk about sound and binary binary beats and hemi-sync. Yeah. And how that can be helpful in raising our consciousness and taking us out of this matrix, if you will. Yes, there's uh, one of the reasons why I am a trainer at the Monroe Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and what uh, one of the things that I found attractive about it was that Bob Monroe did create a, a technology that has assisted people to go deeper. Um, and in our Western world, that was that was sorely needed back then when when he developed this. We have to remember, this is well over 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Actually, it's pushing, no, I take that back, 40 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. That, In other words, I'm a trainer at Monroe, and I incorporate uh, HemiSync into all of my workshops. I see. Because I think it helps people to go deeper, faster. Mm-hmm. And it's been proven to impact, this has been studied for 40 years it's not theoretical. Uh, it, it definitely works. It helps people to go deeper, quicker. Now, it doesn't. It doesn't initiate all, uh, OBEs, but it can allow us to go into a deeply relaxed state faster, mm-hmm. so that we have the precursor to deeper states of consciousness. And people need this in the Western world, especially because of our minds are so active. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an old saying, and. and those who create commercials know this. The average person attention span is less than 15 seconds. Oh, it's much less now. Do you yeah, know? I, some, <laughs> and some, many people, according to research, our attention spans, I mean, as a society, are going down. Yeah. Do you know we've been That's compared why to... commercials are short. We've been compared to a goldfish. A yeah. recent article <laughs> I think I posted, really, research yeah. that they've done, they believe that our attention spans are now less than that of a goldfish. And I believe... That was less than eight seconds, maybe five or four. I, I, I have no doubt that's true. Yeah. But that's why these tools like HemiSync can help us mm-hmm. to hold our attention as we go deeper. I mean, there, there's a, that is what I found helpful. And so I incorporate it in all my workshops, including uh, my Destination Higher Self workshop. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. And that's why I wanted specifically to mention sound technology as we segue into more of the I don't want to use the word logistics of uh, moving into the afterlife, but some of the things that can be done in, in tandem with the, the, a loved one or even yourself uh, about to cross over. You did come out with a group of CDs, I believe, right, that incorporate sound for people helping uh, to help them in their transition, correct? Yes, I created a two-CD set that has HemiSync embedded in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's... Two on one disc is to be played by your bedside. It's nothing but affirmations with HemiSync, and it's to be it's to replace. Essentially, many many years ago, especially going back fifteen hundred years ago, monks used to sit by the side of the dying, and they would chant and provide assistance for them to make an, uh, their best enlightened transition. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we don't do this. People often die alone 
in uh, institutions in America. It's not the way it was 100 years ago. People used to die in their homes. So the idea of my um, CD is to be basically a portable monk that you can play by the bedside of a loved one. And it provides affirmations to guide that individual to an enlightened transition at death. Hmm. You play it on auto repeat. And it's almost like a little, it's like having your own monk chanting next to you. But it's just, it's just, it's just a series of affirmations with Hemisync. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. In higher self now. I release all fear. And it's a repetition of this that's played by the bedside of the, this is something I developed for myself when I thought I was potential, when I had stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be played, I created the initial, the prototype of this for myself. Wow. And, and which I intended it to be played by my bedside if I was to die. So, and I, which I intend to do whenever my transition does occur. Mm-hmm. That, but that's the idea behind this, uh, was to provide guidance, verbal guidance. For instance, the same thing that the Tibetans do in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, where the Lama will chant, go to the clear light of the void, go to the clear light of the void. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same thing to to guide the dying state of consciousness to go beyond the astral, to go beyond the consensus realities of the astral into the higher vibrational realities. And that was the intent of my CD set. Hmm. How's that been doing? Does very well. Okay. Great. We, we can have a link. You can you can get those CDs through your website, right? Yes. Okay. Great. No, I think that's important. You know, I I, I recall uh, when my my own father passed away, well over a decade ago now, fifteen years ago, and uh, something just I, I didn't necessarily know about the technology or I don't know uh, whether it was just an intuitive prompt of mine or not, but I he had a. a uh, keyboard, you know, a, like a electric piano that had music that was recorded in it that you could play back like a player piano. And something told me to and I knew what one his favorite song was. And I think it was something that he may have recorded and put into the piano. And something told me to play that repeatedly at his bedside. So I put the keyboard close to his bedside, and I would play it back. And we had friends and family coming by and they're like, Alexis, why are you playing that? I said, I just think he needs it. I think it's important. So yeah, Yeah. very, very interesting. Sound is important. That's why I wrote that now that we're on this topic, this Mm -hmm. is why I wrote higher self. Now the higher self now is a guidebook for transition. That's what its purpose is. It's to assist us to have an enlightened transition or a conscious death. So, uh, so that we can go to higher realities at the moment of death, so that death can become this launch pad of consciousness. That's the whole idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's important. Yeah, I think this is a great time to bring up something that you and I briefly talked about offline. And that is this this whole idea about not going to the light. I don't know if anybody in our audience have heard some there's some people out there kind of on the alternative circuit i i think more on the fringe areas of you know um uh dimensions that we can get potentially caught up in that are not necessarily uh for our best interest uh the astral realms etc and their definitive advice has been 
don't go to the light. We we hear so much about how beautiful the light is and the tunnel yeah. and then the subsequently you're you're you find this light so beautiful and you, you find yourself attracted to it and, and so you're instructed to go toward it. There are some people that are saying it's a trick. Don't do that because you can A get stuck uh in the lower dimensions and the astral dimensions um and then you are doomed to be reincarnated repeating the same life lessons over and over again so again and i haven't heard too many people talk about it but it has come up don't go to the light <laughs> what do you say about that what are your thoughts on that well I, based on my 40 years i would I'd say this number one we have to begin to examine what is the non-physical universe and how does it function? You know, the, the, the physical world is just a thin outer, it's like the skin of the apple. There is not this, the whole talk of the other side is not accurate. Most of the information out there floating around is not very accurate. When the, any non-physical reality will appear light-filled compared to the physical reality. So the concept of going to the light is not accurate enough. Because it takes you to any non-physical reality. All of them appear. I know this from having thousands of -of out-of-body experiences over 40 years. They're always light-filled because they're higher vibrational. It doesn't mean that you're you're in some pristine higher dimension. It just means you've 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 moved from the densest dimension to the next. You know, it's like I always say. What did you just move? A quarter inch into the non-physical multidimensional spectrum? What we have to do is start to examine what is the higher dimensions. Certainly not the consensus realities of the astral that I call, or the belief territories as Bob Monroe would call it. We have to begin to recognize that we have the capability to go beyond all form-based realities. The problem here is that most people accept the mundane. They accept the minimal because they don't know there's a choice. And yet, and that's the, and and here's the important part. There's endless choices in the non-physical world because the universe is vast. Countless dimensions, countless realities. It's not a place. In a sense, you could call it millions of states of consciousness. Mm Mm-hmm would be probably a better viewpoint of the afterlife. And each one is formed by a collective of souls that inhabit that reality. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize that. They accept the first reality that they experience, and they, they think they're in heaven, where really what they've done is only moved a fraction of an inch into the next vibrational reality of the astral, and they accept that as, as their heaven. Right. Because there's no, there's no, there's the religions have not prepared them for the multi-dimensional continuum that we will enter at death. This is why it's so important to gain knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. So yes, in a way, yes, I do agree that we have to be, we have to go beyond all form-based consensus realities. In other words, realities that are duplicates of the physical world. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one. This is exactly the same thing that the Tibetan Book of the Dead has been teaching for 1,500 years. Mm-hmm. 
They just use different terminology. They call it the clear light of the void. Of the void, that's right. Meaning, go beyond the, the light into the void. In other words, go beyond all form-based consensus astral realities is what I feel they were telling us uh, from studying the texts. Mm-hmm. And I write about this extensively. But yes, uh, but I think it's a matter of why is important, not just because it's too nebulous to just say, well, the light is bad. Mm-hmm. The point is we have to realize that when we die, we're entering a continu- a multidimensional continuum of dimensions and realities. And that, and that we, we have to empower ourselves through knowledge that we don't select the first one that, that appears. Be, be discriminating. We're discriminating in our daily life, aren't we? Right. We're, yes. We, we're discriminating with the food we eat, with the company we keep. Why wouldn't we do the same in the afterlife? Right. I, it's just that simple. Become knowledgeable. Become discriminating on what you're willing to accept. Go to the ultimate, whatever you feel. That's why I told, titled my latest book, Higher Self Now. That is, that is the deathbed affirmation for going to your higher self. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole book is about. Higher Self Now. now. Don't settle for the astral. Don't settle for um, mundane realities. Don't settle for less than what you're capable of. Go to your ultimate perception of spiritual bliss or whatever it is for you, nirvana, whatever you perceive it. But don't settle. Don't settle. Well, what I started to say is, you know, I think the mantra is the same for the here as well as the hereafter. We've got a lot of people that are indeed settling. They're settling here and they're going to settle there. And maybe yes. many aren't aware that they're, they don't have to because, again, there's an infinite landscape. So, again, I think that reading books like yours to, to, shake people up and say, wait a minute, this is not as I've been told, let's explore this. And that does take courage. There's no question. And it takes some unraveling of that program that so many of us have been caught up in. So, well, you know, I want to get into the time is ticking quickly when I and I knew it would when I got on the phone with you. Uh, But I want to get into some of the things that, that Susan talked about in part two something that you and I have actually talked about. Um, and one of them is the phenomenon of visions, the deathbed visions, it's often called. Very common phenomenon. And she also mentions residential sightings that the dying off, uh, often report. Bill, what can we make of that and the prevalence of that? What's happening there, you think? Well, based on my wife and I, uh, our experience, her with years of being next to people that are dying and seeing and witnessing and being a part of their deathbed visions. Um, number one, as people approach death, their connection with the physical world dims. They're starting to reorientate their state of consciousness to the non-physical world they're about to enter. And as they do this, they're making a shift of consciousness and beginning to perceive the non-physical dimensions that exist with us. Remember, people have this idea that things are separated. All dimensions exist with us now. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of density. The the inner dimensions, the subtle dimensions, they're they're just less dense. But they exist, they coexist all around us. 
And as people die, they begin to perceive their loved ones because they're beginning to connect with and experience their astral senses. Let's use that, their non-physical senses. And as they begin to orientate themselves to the their new energy body, they begin to perceive those non-physical beings that are waiting for them to make the transition. They're, 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 in other words, they're dead loved ones. They begin to see their mother and their father who has previously died or whoever else is waiting for them and they actually see them. And this is what people report constantly. 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 Oh, God, it's, so, it's, it's become almost a stereotypical event for mm-hmm. hospice workers. Sure. People that are dying will start to talk, oh, there's Aunt Margaret. And uh, she, they'll start to talk to people around them that are unseen. And then people call them elusive. These aren't hallucinations. Yeah. They're reconnecting. They're reorientating themselves to a to their energy body or to this non-physical reality that they're about to assimilate within. Or go back to. Or go back well, to. Yes, yes, <laughs> because that's, that's where they come from. Right. Do you think and, that what they're seeing, Bill, when they say there's Aunt May or there's my mother who's been gone for, you know, however many years, is it really them, do you think, or is it the the energy essence of them that's coming to quote visit well it's 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 their astral being i feel it's their energy body or i call it many people in today call it their astral body many most people that die we have to remember they don't go back to source has been unfortunately projected on us by a few books i have found no evidence of that people that die generally go to the astral, which is a vast, multi, oh, it's it's incredible reality, uh, a million-fold greater than the physical. It's not the other side. There's no reference point to this. Mm-hmm. In other words, people think they're equal. No, they're not. Any psychic can tell you this. Anybody that's had out-of-body experiences can tell you that the astral is vast. It's vast, and it's multiple states of consciousness, multiple realities. And when people die, they're beginning to orientate to the, those loved ones that already live there. It's natural. It's a natural state of absolutely re- reintegrating into the reality that you're about to reunite with. Because if you join your loved ones, you will enter their, real, their consensus reality. And in doing so, you will be part of their reality after death. Which is what most hap- which most commonly happens to people that die in the physical today. Okay, so so would you say that you know we we were speaking earlier about people that go where they expect to go, largely shaped by the lives that they've lived, the the uh, indoctrinations, religious indoctrinations, etc., that they've had. So I'm thinking, let's say a person is is about to transition and they see a particular relative that comes to them, but let's say that relative had held a different worldview completely than the person that's about to make the transition. Wouldn't it be fair to say that they would be in two different, and I'm putting in quotes, places, because we're not talking about places, mindsets, that they may see that person or the, the energy of that person, but that doesn't mean they're going to be spending time with them in that state. Yes, because we will, I have found that those of 
let's uh, you're calling it mindset it's it's about states of consciousness mm -hmm. those of equivalent states of consciousness will end up in essentially those that are of like mind or like states of consciousness will end up more or less together you're, you're not going to find a, a member of ISIS, for instance, <laughs> at death, entering a Jewish uh, reality. I mean, it's that people go to the reality that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. State of consciousness. And let me rephrase this. It's all about states of consciousness. If you and your mother not only have had a great relationship, but you are you resonate you will reunite with your dead mother mm -hmm. in her reality if you accept that as your reality. Mm -hmm. Now, what most people, and this gets back to the question that we brought up before, what's important is, is to realize that you have a choice. It doesn't mean you have to, but people don't know that. People don't know they, that. That's right. They, they accept. They're generally in the, in the current evolution of humanity People reunite with their loved ones because they don't know that there's other choices. Mm -hmm. It's and, that simple. And they just think, because why wouldn't you? Right. These are your loved ones. These are the ones you feel good about. You had good experiences with these people. You have no knowledge that there may be 10,000 other choices available to you. So maybe we just make a pit stop with, yes, with those loved way, ones, well, you, spend you some time tendency, and move on. <laughs> you have a tendency to reunite with those that have resonated with you before. Mm -hmm. And that, if that, let's face it, if you're, let's just say your loved one was not exactly the most evolved individual on the planet, then that's a choice you're making. Mm -hmm. And you can so, stay there with them if you want, right? If you want, sure. which is what I write about in Adventures in the Afterlife. I was just going to say, you know, th that book... For, for anyone that has not read Adventures in the Afterlife, this is the book that immediately preceded uh, Higher Self Now. Go get that book. I, you know, Bill, that you really nailed that one. With And by the way, folks, this is a sort of a fictional depiction of a character named Frank, I believe, who yes. it is an adventure. Bill takes you on an adventure of how Frank, uh, the character Frank, goes into, he dies, goes into multiple variations of the afterlife, if you will, uh, first with that which is most expected. And then there's graduations and graduations and realizations along the way. It's beautifully written. So well, it's a great companion, by the way, I think, to to hire self now. But yeah, that's that something you just said just reminded me of that. Absolutely. Yes, I, I wanted to portray a story um, of the afterlife instead of just having dry information. Uh, because let's face it, uh, stories, people relate to stories. Mm -hmm. And it, the story is essentially me, but I created a character um, because I wanted to embellish some of the things that I had experienced in my OBEs. So, but uh, that's why I made it into the first part of the book is this journey of Frank into the afterlife. I think page seven, he dies. And the rest of the book is his, in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is the nonfiction element, kind of explaining it about what happens and why it happens and what the afterlife is like. And so that people have knowledge about this incredible, wonderful journey we're all about to go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's no reason to be fearful. And I think this is important. There's no reason for fear. We're just beginning our journey. 
and we are immortal. All of us are immortal. No one has ever died because we are not biological beings. Mm -hmm. So no one, no, World War One, World War Two, no one ever really died. Not a single soul or a state of consciousness or consciousness has died. We all continue. We just continue and we learn and grow through our these, this magnificent universe that's been created for us to explore these, in a sense, almost like virtual realities that we learn and grow through. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an interesting concept, the idea that this reality is perhaps uh, in, in more of a literal than figurative sense of virtual reality, a literal matrix, a, a whole, which has a holographic aspect. I oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's a simulation. a simulation. Now, what's wild is that the same applies to the astral. Ah, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. Because the astral is not soul level. It's not. It's still an energy body, but most people don't know that. They think they're in heaven when they're actually just, they just moved into another dimensional reality that's still, and what often, and another thing I like to bring up is that we take our entire state of consciousness with us. Mm -hmm. We take our fears, we take our limits, and this is what creates, if you have limits and fears in the physical, and you don't resolve them, you're taking them with you. People create their own walls in the afterlife, just like they do in the physical. Mm -hmm. This is important, that's why it's important to work on yourself. Right. That's why the first part of Higher Self Now is about working on yourself to resolve your energy issues so that you can have an enlightened transition at death. And that's why I put in that 21-day transformational um, journey that you can begin to analyze and appraise yourself as you go along mm -hmm. so that you can begin to work on yourself so that you can experience what the Buddhists would call liberation mm -hmm. uh, at death, not just an entrance into another consensus astral reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there are a few things I want to touch on before we're, we're winding down for sure now, but a few things I have to make mention of, uh, I'd be remiss if I did, and that's talking about OBEs and how the out-of-body experience can also be a part of the transition process. Susan talks about this, that um, the, the reported incidence of OBEs uh, prior to one that's making that transition seems to be uh far more prevalent than we know, right? Oh, absolutely. People, it's a natural process. I have found and, uh, that, that OBEs, it's only natural that as people are dying, they begin to have spontaneous out-of-body experiences because they're beginning to reorientate themselves to their non-physical energy body and their new surroundings. And this, of course, is exactly the same time they begin to see their the loved visions, ones. I was just going to say, yes. The two are interrelated. Yes. And it's wonderful. But it, everyone that's dying begins to have out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're popping out of your body. It doesn't mean you're floating around the room. It means you're beginning to make this conscious transition to your let's just call it less dense energy body. You're beginning to perceive through your astral eyes and your astral ears. That's why you begin to connect with and communicate with loved ones that are dead mm -hmm. because you are at their same vibrational level. 
you are seeing and interacting with them because you are beginning to transition or shift your consciousness, your awakened consciousness into the next less dense energy body, which for most people will be their astral body. Uh-huh. But, you know, we keep talking about the astral realm, uh, Bill, and, and you say that it's a very vast uh state of consciousness, we'll call it, not a place, but a state of consciousness that may have lower levels, middle levels, all sorts of levels. What about beyond that? Now, I know this is probably not the right question to bring up at the end of an interview, because it's a loaded question. But and and again, this discussion about um, going beyond the light, and perhaps if we have the ability to do that, we can skip the astral and go on to even finer and finer environments, finer in terms of being less dense? Yes. That's why I titled the book Higher Self Now. I think one of the things that we can do is to create our own mantra as we are in the process of transition or dying and help to accelerate or expand our state of consciousness. Mantras have been used throughout every culture throughout history. There's nothing new about this. Higher self now is just a mantra that you would mentally repeat as your last conscious thought as you're dying to help you to raise your consciousness to go to the highest spiritual aspect you can achieve in that lifetime. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee that we're going to go to that, but at least it gives us this accelerated opportunity, let's call it. In other words, it's better than than laying on a deathbed in a fear-based, clueless state of consciousness, mm-hmm. hoping and praying that things work out. Right. It's about directing your state of consciousness. If some people may, if you don't resonate with the term higher self now, look at it as spiritual essence now. It mm-hmm. means the same thing. Mm-hmm. Repeat this as your last conscious thought as you're dying. Right. That's that's powerful. Sure. At least you're making an energy. You're 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 focusing your consciousness upon your ultimate goal. That's why people. It's important to think about what is your ultimate goal yeah. for a, a transition. This is maybe one of the most important things you can ask yourself. Absolutely, I agree. But I yet agree nobody does. Very few people even ponder this. Well, you know what? With your new book, Higher Self Now: Accelerating Your Spiritual Evolution, I bet they will. Where can we get it? <laughs> Where is it available? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, it's available Kindle. Um, it it'll be. It's available. It will be available in German. Oh, great! And Romanian in probably another couple months. Oh, that's fantastic. In other eventually in other languages, but right now it's available worldwide through Amazon and uh, through Kindle. Amazon. Very good. Very good. And I know it's doing quite well. And I think this does speak to the the hope. I. I I guess we could say that we, we can have for humanity and wanting to look at the bigger picture, much bigger picture. So, and with your help, they are indeed doing so. Bill Buman, I love having you on this show. It's always an energetic conversation and I know people leave the conversation the better for it. So I appreciate you as always. Thanks for coming on. Oh, well, thank you.